0: You're listening to What the Hell is Michael Jamin Talking About? Conversations in writing, art, and creativity. Today's episode is brought to you by my debut collection of true stories, a paper orchestra, available in print, ebook, and audiobook. To purchase and to support me and this podcast, please visit michaeljamin.com/slash book. And now, on with the show. Hey, everyone. It's Michael Jammin. Welcome back to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? The podcast where we explore art, creativity, and writing. Oh, and it's a big announcement today, Phil. Phil's big back. Big day.
1: Back. Happy to be back. Thank you for having me. Big
0: day. We're finally building up. We, this has been a long project, Phil. Uh, my book, my book, A Paper Orchestra, drops or dropped. If it's if you're hearing this, it's available. It's it's that already is available dropped. yesterday. So go
1: get it now.
0: This is called it's called The Paper Orchestra and it's a collection of personal essays. If you're if you're a fan of David Sedaris, it's I I think of it as David Sedaris meets Neil Simon. And uh, this has been my passion project for for years. I've been working on this and I'm very excited to put it out in the world as a you can get it on print, you can get it on audiobook, you can get it as ebook, however you consume your books. And uh, you can get it everywhere. You can go get it at MichaelJammond.com. You can find it on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble. You can uh, AC or uh, Audible for the for the audio um, audiobook. Anywhere, anywhere you get Apple, if you want to get the ebook, it's everywhere. Phil, yeah, it's everywhere. It's like you got a real
1: publishing deal, except you didn't. Well, I'm doing it myself. Right, that's a whole that, of- and I, we'll go into that because I want people to understand. Like you chose to self-publish this at this point, but that's not how we started. And we've talked a bit about that when we you know, changed the podcast title. And we talked a bit about it. We are talking about your live shows. But I think this is like, let's celebrate Michael Jammin' a little bit today because this you, you're always talking to people to, to build the mountain to climb. You are now at the top of that mountain. And I imagine you're looking over and saying, oh, crap, look, that other peak there I've got to get to now.
0: Yeah, I already am. Yeah, for sure. A lot of it, and I hope this inspires a lot of you, like, because some there's so many people who are like, I want to sell my screenplay, or I want to sell my, you know, I, I I want help me break in, help me, help me. But there's so much that you can do. You like it's so dis- unempowering, disempowering. You're 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 basically hoping that someone else is going to make your career, buy my script, make my movie. And but there's so much that you can do on your own, and you don't. It, it, and it's a little. You may think it's more work because you're doing it yourself, but it's actually less work because. Now you don't have to count on someone else to do it for you. You, can, you have to. You can stop begging. You can stop worrying about all the rejection because when you're selling your scripts or trying to, you're going to get rejected by you know 99 out of 100 people. But if you if you just build it yourself, there's so much you can do. This the year we live in. It's so empowering. You can. Everyone has a phone, and you can shoot on your phone. You can make a movie. Everyone has a miniature movie studio. There's so much we all can do, and on our own. And so I'm just going to share a little bit about the journey that I've been on when I started writing this book. Um, so basically, this started oh, well over four years ago, maybe five years ago. I told my wife that i i was I was just at a point in my life where I felt a little dis- disheartened by, a little bored by what is what I was writing in television. Because you know, when I write for TV, and I'm very grateful to have a job and a career, but I'm always writing what someone is paying me to write, and I'm very rarely writing. Uh, What I want to write, I'm paying what someone pays me to write or what I can sell. But that's not how I started writing when I was in college and in high school. I just wanted to write what I wanted to write. And so I went for a walk with my wife one day and I was like, I have a really bad idea. I'm I'm thinking of writing a collection of personal essays, which is what David Sedaris writes. And I I love his writing. I've read everything he's written multiple times. You show Um,
1: me your card. You got a card back there, don't you? Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. He Actually, uh, I, I sent him a piece of fan letter fan mail three years ago, but I've read him so much. I knew that uh, he would respond because he talks about, I knew he would respond. It just took him three years to respond, (laughs) but it was very, very kind of. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So yeah, so I started writing. I started, I I wanted to write this project. I wanted to write what I want to write. I wanted to tell stories the way I wanted to tell them without network notes, without a partner, without, I just wanted to do, see what I can do on my own without having someone telling me what to do or breathing down my back or, or or saying, no, it should be this or that. Like, what can I do? And so I told that to Cynthia and, and she said, that's a great idea. I said, but you don't understand, even if I sell it, I'm, I'm not gonna make a lot of money from it. And it's gonna take me years and years to do She goes, you gotta do it anyway, mm. because if you do, you you'll find yourself in the process. And I was like, okay. And at the time I was really in a bad place. I was just very, upset about stuff. I was mentally, I was in a bad place. I was like, okay, I'll I'll start writing. And that's what I did. I remember I had, I had listened to a lot of David Sedaris audio books, but I had never read him. So I was like, I better read him, right? And then I bought a bunch of books and I got, to, I read the first one. I remember I was lying in bed. I was reading the first book and I'm about halfway through and I'm thinking, where's this guy going? What's he doing here? Where's he going with this? And then I got to the end of the piece and the ending was such a wonderful ending. I was like, oh my God. And I almost threw the book across the room. I was like, I was like, I was so mad. I was like, this is gonna be so much harder than I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be easy or you know, natural, not easy, but just considering I'm a writer, I didn't think it would be that difficult. So then I just started studying him and I got all his books and I read him multiple times over and over again. And the more I read, I was just trying to look for patterns and trying to learn from him and, and that that kind of just began, that was the beginning of this journey, just to study study what I wanted to do.
1: You're constantly telling people to study their craft and you talk about story and story structure. You have a course on that. Most of yeah. your content you put on social media is dedicated to helping people understand that your webinars are often about resetting people's expectations of about what a writing career looks like and helping them focus on what really matters. And the undertone that I've, I've witnessed over the last two, two and a half years of this process with you of at least starting the podcast and helping with social media and that stuff. Um, it's all based under the reality or the realization that creativity is worth doing just to be creative and that there's yeah. value in that process beyond monetary yeah. monetary, um, you know, pay your paychecks.
0: Well, yeah, for sure. And as I, when I first started writing these stories, uh, you know, first the first two were first several were not very good. I was writing in David Sedaris's voice because I didn't know how, how else to do it. That, that the ironic thing is, as a TV writer, I'm always writing in someone else's voice. I'm writing in the character's voice or the voice of the show, but this is my voice, and this is the first time I actually had to do that. And so, because I'm a good mimic, and because I just read so much of him, I was like kind of writing. I was kind of writing like him, and I and I I thought the first two stories were good. And then I set it down for a couple of weeks and I read it with fresh eyes. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. This just, it felt like a cheap knockoff. It felt like, it felt like me pretending I was him and I hated it. I threw all those stories out and then I had to figure out, okay, what's my voice? And that was a long discovery. But the reason why, I'm, this is a long way of go, saying this, those first several stories, I wrote, I don't know, maybe, maybe six or seven stories. And it just took months and months. At one point, I reach out to my agent. I'm at a very big, prestigious Hollywood agency, right? But they do film and, you know, they represent me in film and TV. And um, I reached out to my agent. I told him what I was working on. I said, hey, do we have a book agency, a book department? He's like, of course we do. I what do I know? I tell him what I was doing. I said, can you hook me up with one of your agents? He goes, sure. So I reach out to their agents. This guy's in New York. Now, he doesn't have to take, just so people know, he doesn't, I told him what I was doing. He doesn't have to take me on as a client, but he has to take the call. Like, you know, that's, you got to, I'm, I'm paying them. They got to take the call. He doesn't have to bring me on to represent him in, in books, though. And so I told him what I was doing. He goes, oh, that sounds interesting. Send me what you have. I go, well, I only have a handful of stories, but I'll send you what I have. So I emailed them to him. I never heard back. I didn't hear back for probably six months at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm still writing more stories. It doesn't matter. Like I, you know, whatever. I'm thinking maybe he read it, he didn't read it, he doesn't like it, whatever. I'm not gonna stop writing them though. And I just kept on writing all these stories. Finally, six months later, he reaches out to me, he goes, I'm so sorry it took me so long to read these. I love them. Let's let's get on the phone and talk about them. Hmm. I was like, Sure. He goes and he was like when we when we spoke, he said, um, he said did you have any more? Because he only read whatever I sent him, maybe six stories. And uh I go, as a matter of fact, yeah, I'm almost I'm almost done with the collection. Give me another couple of weeks and I'll send you the entire collection. So at that point, you know, it was it was you know, but again, I'm writing it because I want to write it. I want to do this. It's not I'm not thinking about how much money I'm gonna make. I'm thinking about the process of writing and and figuring out how to learn. I had to relearn how to write because I'm a TV writer who now is writing books. It's it's a it's it, there's a little difference. There's some difference to it. So,
1: yeah. A couple things here. I, I, I love the narrative and I don't want to interrupt the narrative, but I think there's some mm-hmm. topics that are coming up here. Is it okay if we just dive into those for yeah, a second? Yeah, please. Okay. Um you talked about David Sedaris in you were reading this and you're like where is this going and then it ended in this way that was almost upsetting because it was so beautiful and so yeah. well done <laughs> yeah what I, what i'm hearing you say is something you talk about regularly on the podcast and in your social media content which is um the way you unpack your story is mm-hmm. the job of being a writer and that's almost effectively what i'm hearing is that's your craft and your tone and your style you still have to understand story structure and you need to understand these things but the unpacking would you say that that's a, an example of, of what you're talking about when you say how you unpack something uh, matters?
0: Yes. And the thing is, I've studied, I've really tried to study him. I think he's the gold standard. I think he's a master, a beautiful writer. There are certain things I was able to learn and certain things I was not able to unpack. And um, so I, I learned a lot from, from, from him for sure, but some things still remain a mystery to me from how he writes. I don't, I can't see through it and I'm good at seeing through some stuff. So uh, take that for what it's worth. I do remember thinking I had long conversations with my wife when we were about this because I I didn't want people to think that the book was written by a sitcom writer. I I, I mean, I wanted it to be funny and dramatic, but I didn't want people to say, oh, this guy's, I didn't want, I, I wanted it to be a little smarter than just a sitcom for, you know, I guess. And so I I was very self-conscious about that. And we had long conversations of, is this art? How do I make art? What is, what is art? How do I do this so it feels like art? And what I really came, it was a really eye-opening moment for me. And it came from much of what I learned about how to do this. I learned not from writers. I, David Sedaris is probably the only writer who I really studied a lot uh, for this book. But it was, I learned a lot from, from watching interviews with musicians, ironically, about how mm. they approach their art. And that I found that to be more helpful than listening to other writers. And, and one of the really interesting things, because I was like, well, we know there's a market for what David Sedaris says. We know people like what he does. So why am I trying to reinvent things? Why, why not just kind of do what he's doing? And there's two reasons why not. One, I'm not him, I can't be him ever. And that's almost the tragedy of the whole thing is like I want to write like this guy can write, but I never ever will. So you're going to have to let go of that, Mm. which is almost tragic. But the other thing is it's my responsibility not to as as an artist. It's my response. Like if you want to make art, then you have to add, you have to bring new to the equation. You have to bring new. And that actually I picked up I believe I picked up from an interview with watching Pharrell talk about music. That's awesome. Which is basically, he's saying, listen, your job is to bring something new to the conversation, is to bring the, put you, the you-ness into it. That Whatever is you, that's what you have to put into it. And that was very reassuring to hear it from him. I was like, oh, okay. Now yeah. I can lean into me.
1: Yeah. This resonates with me. And what I wrote down here is that you can look outside of your space for inspiration Mm -hmm. and i think this again ties to the fact that creativity is self it's it's for the self um rick rubin the producer Mm -hmm. familiar with him i think most people are at this point i was just watched a clip of him in an interview and he said i have never made music for a fan when you do it's bad when i make it for myself or when I do it because it's something that I like, that resonates with the listener. Yeah. And would you say that's what you're doing here is you're writing this for you in your tone because it's the best pure expression of your art? Well, yes,
0: yes, I know. Like I, I, I it, some of it's it's very truthful. It's very painfully truthful, it's very intimate. It's, I, I, I go there. I think that's what makes mm. it interesting. I think that's my job as a writer. It's my obligation as a writer is to find figure out what the truth is and figure out how to tell it. But I also am. I also keep the audience in mind, and maybe that's just because of my background as a yeah. TV you're writer. an enter- you're
1: an entertainer to a degree because that's what you do. Is you want people to tune in for 23, 25 yeah. minutes per week, have a good time, forget their worries, and then leave having gotten something from what you've done. Well, it's also. But I don't know that that's. I don't know that negates the, what Rick Rubin's talking about because. It's like when you read what you're when you're putting out here. Do you feel like you're getting the same value out of it that you would hope a reader would, or are you hoping the reader gets more value out of it than what you're getting out of it?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, first I keep them in mind. Like I I picture my reader with a remote control in their hand. That's just become a TV writer. So how do I make sure the story is compelling so that they want to turn the page? Am I getting? But I do keep them in mind in terms of how do I make this story not about me but about all of us? Mm. And so, and I think that is. I think that's important because these this has the this has the um the danger of becoming very self-indulgent if I'm just you know these are true stories from my life but I tell them in a way with art so that you really feel like you're reading a character in a book I am a character the character of Michael is in this story so it's not like eh, and then this happened and then this happened I'm not telling you how I broke into Hollywood I'm not although there are stories about that I'm really telling you about the stories of, these are stories of rejection. These are stories of triumph. They're story like, <clears throat> they're meant to be, they're meant, the details are mine, but the stories are all of ours. And so that's how I feel I'm telling them, is like, okay, so that you can totally relate to this. So you can feel, okay, I had something very similar and and me explaining it to you helps you understand it, hopefully.
1: And, and not to jump ahead, I saw you last year for my birthday do a performance, my wife and mm-hmm. I came out and- um, there's a story, it was it Ghoul? Is that what it's called? The Ghoul, the yeah. Ghoul. Still, year later, 13 months still. later, still <laughs> thinking about that ghoul because as a new father and then hearing your perspective mm-hmm. as a father with children leaving the home, yeah, there's a lot of uh, beauty and regret in that story that is mm-hmm. paralleling the decisions I'm making now with my children who are young and what I want my life and my relationship to be like with them. Um, so, yeah, I think you absolutely check that box because you said, I've heard you say before, you want people to leave and sit there and think about it, like have been impacted by what's happening. Yeah. And I can tell you that that's been very true for me.
0: That's been my, because, yeah, so Phil came to, I performed this and, I'm, and if you want to see me perform, you can go to, in your town, if I travel with it, com slash upcoming. But that's one of the stories and that's actually one of the stories I gave out to reviewers, like, you know, uh, you know, right to, you know, to, to review the book. People, you know, they like that story, but um, yeah, it's my goal when I write any story, and hopefully, I achieve this. Is like you, you know, the the people say, um, "I couldn't put it down." That seems to be like the nicest thing you could say about a book. I couldn't put it down. I I want you to put the book down. I, I want you to get to a chapter and just be so moved at the end of it that you don't, you're not ready to move forward. You just want to sit in that mo the, that emotion for. For however long it takes you, whatever it is, just sit in it. I, like, I don't want you to, just, it's, not, I, it's not meant to be consumed that way. And one of the things that I tried to achieve, I made, we, we did an audiobook and I, I, I hired whatever, I partnered with uh, Anthony Rizzo, who is the composer I worked with on Marin. He's a really talented writer, uh, composer. And, uh, and so for the audiobook, I would send him each chapter and then I said to him, he's like, what do you want? I go, no, 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 I want you to read this piece, interpret it, tell me what it sounds like to you in music. What's your version of, you know, he's an artist, what what does this sound like to you in music? And that's what he came back with. And yeah. so at the end, in the audio book, if you prefer to consume it that way, at the end of the story, we go right into the music and it forces you. It, or not forces you, but allows you to sit in it. It allows you to sit in whatever motion it is the music carries you out for thirty seconds or however long it is to just so you can now you can experience it in music, which i I, I love that. I just love i I thought he brought so much to the audiobook. Uh, I was so grateful he hopped on board.
1: Yeah. I normally listen to audiobooks at like one point five to one point seven five speed and then the music mm-hmm. kind of throws that off. Yeah. This is one I would absolutely listen to in real time. Just slow it down. Yeah. Slow it down slow and it just down. sit in it and do you give yourself the, the treat and the opportunity to sit in that. I think very often we are constantly looking for the next thing or to get ahead or checking off stuff on our list and and that's not what this book is. This book is yeah. a sit in it, allow yourself to feel it
0: think yeah, about feel. how
1: you can apply it like there's some just some beautiful life lessons in here as well
0: yeah so, i hope so that was my
1: goal yeah well i think it's achieved and, and i've talked to several people in your advanced reader group who feel the same way so, oh yeah 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 and they're way. not you you've got fans in there but these are people who are like very sincere with their compliments as well and and they're there's some great compliments coming your way from that advanced group
0: yeah and so all of thank you yeah thank you i i i honestly this is more, I like to do more of this kind of writing. Uh, and this is, to me, it's very fulfilling at this stage of my career. Uh, it, to me, it's more exciting doing this than writing a TV show that might be seen by millions of people. I, writing something that can make someone, just like make you laugh, but then feel something. Like, that, it's funny, I, 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 there's a re- I have a sort of a recipe and I'm wondering, people are gonna f- see through it at some point, but uh, I don't really care. My recipe is if I can get you to laugh in the beginning, I just want you to open up. Like let's just start laughing about stuff, and that the it start. Most of my stories start off very fun and light, and then you kind of relax into oh this is going to be fun, and you let your guard down. And as soon as your guard comes down, then I hit you as really hard, as hard as I can, with something emotional, where I talk about. And and, and because you're in my writing course, you'll know where this happens, <laughs> where this happens structurally, but um. I I want to, and then at that point, once I hit him in the heart, there's no point in being funny anymore. There's no, I've, the the humor has already achieved its goal, which is to get you, to get your guard down. Yeah. And so. Engaged,
1: paying attention. Yeah. What, some some advice, yeah, I know it's standard advice, but it's advice you specifically gave me a long time ago, which is, it's easy to kill people. It's hard to make them laugh and so you're almost checking the box on the, on the humor part so they're completely engaged and engrossed in what's going on which is yeah. why the emotional impact of the reality of this story hits so hard later yeah
0: there were times i thought maybe i'm being too funny here in the beginning i I'm, I'm not even sure but uh but but you know cuz i don't want to i i didn't want any of this to feel silly i just wanted it to be fun until uh but yeah tonally there's i guess there's some stories are a little lighter than others for sure
1: It's good stuff. Uh, Going back to what you're telling though, in this narrative of how we got to where you are, Mm -hmm. you said that you reached out to your agent who got you in touch with like the literary agent effectively for books and publishing. And um, a lot of people, myself included might be tempted to submit to the agent and then wait and do nothing. And you made a point of saying you continued to write. And the question when he came back is, do you have more? So a lot of people, I think the mistake is that they're putting all their eggs in the basket. And we see this all the time with the questions on the webinars for the podcast, for your live Q and A's when you do them on social media, whatever it is, how do I get an agent? How do I get a representative? How do I get a showrunner attached? How do I do this? And it's, it's like you say, like you're giving, you're putting all the power in the hands of somebody else. And you're saying that's the wrong thing to do. And because you didn't, because you were writing for yourself to do the job, and you didn't wait for one person to make your career, yeah, you were even yeah. more successful and, and, in getting. And
0: music. he doesn't care. I mean, he's a good guy and everything, but he doesn't care if I if I achieve this. What does he care? All he wants is like, is he going to make money from this? And that's fair enough. He has to make money. Yeah. So my dream is my dream. I got to I have to make my dream happen.
1: Yeah.
0: And so yes, yeah, so then turned it into him. We sent it out, and that and then the the feedback I got was, hey, this is really great but platform drives acquisition. I said, well, what does that mean? It means you need to have a social media following. I said, really? Is it, It's not good enough that it's well-written. No, not anymore, like maybe 30 years ago, but today the industry, you know, publishing has changed as much as Hollywood has changed. It's really about, it's, you know, can they sell it? Is And now it's sold on social media. That's, you're expected to have that. And I was a little upset about that. I was like, why can't it just be good enough? Because everyone loved it, but platform drives acquisition. I said, all right, well, how big of a social media following do I need? This is two and a half years ago. And I couldn't get a straight answer. They wouldn't, no one really knew, but especially in the space of, they had a a good point, Phil, they really did. It's not like, this is not a novel. These are personal essays, but they're, like I said, they're told story-wise. You're not gonna, if, if you didn't know me, you'd be like, oh, this is a nice story, but it just so happens that it's true. Um, but the point that they made was, or maybe I made it with myself. I think that's what it was. I was like, if you were to go to Barnes and Noble and you, my book was on the shelf, why would someone buy it if they don't know who I am? Because there's true stories. Who cares? Like, who cares if you don't know who I am? And that's a fair, yeah. that's a fair thing to ask. Why would someone pick it off the shelf? Now, here's the thing as I was arguing with myself. But here's the thing, no one goes to Barnes and Nobles anymore. Like when they, that's not where people get books. I mean, you know, they exist, but most people just get it online. Most of the books are sold online. So why do I need to be in Barnes and Nobles? I don't, I don't need, I mean, I can be, but it's not necessary. And so I was like, okay. And then I was like, well, if I build this, if I build the platform, if I get a big following, and people want to support me and buy the book, and because they're, they're curious and they like what I have to say and they think I'm talented, great. But then why do I need a publisher? Like, what is the pub? Like, what do they bring to the equation? Honestly, what? Oh, they can get your book in Barnes and Noble, well, great, but no one goes there anymore. So, mm-hmm. what exactly did they do? And I'm like, well, and, and and by the way, they get most of the money. I'm like, okay, well, they can they can help you get a, a they they help you design the book cover, yeah. But the problem is they don't help you they design the book cover you don't get a choice of what the book cover is they you know they maybe they give you three choices but that's about it it's they decide how they want and they decide what the title of the book is cuz you sold them the rights so why am i giving away all this power to someone who hasn't earned it why am i making them rich why am i letting giving them any creative input at all when the whole point of this was for me to have 100% creative input i remember at one point i was cuz i had talked to other you know, people in the publishing world. And they thought, man, your title could be better. It's called The Paper Orchestra. And I was like, yeah, but I I think I like the title. Like, yeah, but no one really knows what it means. And I'm like, yeah, you got a good point. No one knows what it means until I remember this
1: conversation. Yeah.
0: And then it was, ironically, I had a long talk with my daughter. It was on my birthday and we went for a long walk and she's so smart. And she says, well, why are you, she said to me, I thought the whole point of the book was for you to just, write what you wanted to write without anyone giving you no... I said, yeah. She goes, well, why are you changing the title? I said, yeah, why am I changing the title? Why am I second-guessing myself? You know, so I did it my way. I did 100% my way. And this is my book. And and I, like, that's exact. It was such a... This is my expression without having anyone telling me it's wrong. It's different. It should be this or that. And along the way, I got to say, Phil... It's so frustrating for, you know, it's so frustrating to hear this kind of stuff. I think, but it's like, I, I understand what people want. Like, if if I I want this, I want a complete creative expression, and to me, that's that's the satisfaction. Whether I sell a, a hundred copies or one copy or you know a million copies, it's the it's the process that I got so much joy out of, and I think that's what people will enjoy. I mean, it's like. You know, stop, I I had so many agents, even afterwards they find me on social media, they reach out to me and I tell them what my book is and they go, oh, ah, that sounds nice. But if you write a young adult novel, I can sell that for you. Or if you write a how-to book, we can sell that. I'm like, I don't want to write those. This is what I want to write. This is exactly what I wanted to write. Yeah, You know,
1: you got to do it yourself. That's right. And that's what you tell people, right? You got to basically make your mountain, create your mountain, and then climb your mountain. And, and all
0: of it's doable. Yeah. It's just going to take a long time. But it's it's going to take less time to build your mountain and climb it than it is for you to beg someone to to make your life.
1: And begging someone to make your life means you owe them and they have power over you. And it's
0: also, but you're going to hear no so many times. You're going to get so much rejection. Like, who needs it? Why not, why not just... Put all that creative energy into what you want, what you want to achieve instead of like, you know, why are you wasting your energy hitting people up on LinkedIn?
1: What's the point of that? Mm. This is something in business I'm bad about because we've talked about it before. I own a digital marketing agency. That was, that was my career path before I moved to LA and I still operate that agency and we do nothing on LinkedIn. And I was like, well, you got to be on Mm. LinkedIn. That's where the businesses are. And I was like, I get that. Mm. Like our business is almost purely word of mouth. And Mm -hmm. it's because I'm not out shaking my can, asking people to put money in it. We stand on the value of the work that we do. And then that refer, that's referral work that goes out to other people. And that's not the way to grow like to a business that's going to end up on the New York Stock Exchange or end up to something you can trade. But what it is, is it's a lifestyle business that creates a way for me to do what you're doing, which is to Mm -hmm. make my art, to do, be creative, Mm -hmm. to live my life the way I want without having to be beholden to somebody else dictating what I do with my time and my hours. And what I'm hearing you say is it's effectively the same thing for your book is had you gone with an agent who sold your book to a big publisher, you would now be mandated to do things in a certain way and you would have lost all of the same creative control. And it almost sounds like it would spoil the whole experience for you.
0: It's hard to say. I mean, you know, in the beginning, that's how I thought I had to do it. And then I realized I didn't have to. Like, who knows? It could have been a great experience. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll never know. But I also know it's not necessary, even a little bit. It's not, you know. There's so not not in today's world. Um, and if I do another book, maybe I will use a publisher. Maybe not. I don't know. But the point is, if I do, uh, they're going to pay me for it. Like you know, what I'm saying they're going to like this first one's on me. I have to prove myself. Sure. If if, if they want in on Michael Jammin, they're going to have to pay me, or else because now it's the now the power has shifted.
1: Yeah. I can't remember if we've ever talked about this, but this uh, this came up in conversation this week. It's Kevin Hart, right? Where mm-hmm. he worked traveling, doing stand-up comedy, getting names, getting emails after shows, building a fan base. And then when he got his first big deal, they were like, all right, and then we'll need you to send this out to your email list. And he said, it's a million dollars. And I said, what? He says, mm. you didn't work to build that list. Yeah. You don't get my people and mine, my, I put in the blood, sweat, and tears on this. You did not. And yeah. You're gonna pay me for that blood, sweat, and tears. And what happened? They pay him every time. They pay him. Yeah.
0: Pay pay the man. I mean, so yeah. So a lot and a lot of this, and and you've helped out as well with you know uh, you know enormously just in terms of you know the podcast and helped me with marketing and all that stuff and the website. Um. So yeah, but but uh, it's still one of these things like build it first. I. I this is the order in which you need to do things. When you make things, make it first, and then people will join in. People will want a piece of that. They'll want They'll either want to help you or they'll want part of your success or whatever. It's not the other way around. It's not, hey, help me make my dream. No one wants to help you make your dream. No one cares about your dream. You build it first, and then they'll come out of the woodwork and decide whether they want a piece of you or not because they can make some money off of it. But it's so much more empowering when you look at it that way. It's like, hey, I have something to offer here. I have something great. I'm not even offering it. I have something great here. Do you want a piece of it or not? And the answer, if they know, okay, that's fine. I will do it without you. But it's the other, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, hey, help me make it out. Is it, hey, help me? Because then you're begging. Mm-hmm. It's the other way around. It's, it's it's. what you know, I have something great and I'm going there, I'm doing it with or without you. It's up to yeah. you, you can decide.
1: It's field the dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. Yeah, you got to build it first though. Yep. You got to build have it first. To, you have to do the crazy thing. You have the lofty idea. You got to go make the baseball field in the middle of your cornfield yeah. in, in Nebraska or wherever.
0: And people say though, I don't know how to do that. You know, but if you are a creative person and you want to get into a creative field, writing or screenwriting, whatever, be creative. Yeah. Prove you how creative you are. You'll figure yep. it out. Figure it
1: out. Yeah, go cut your teeth. I, I think it's um, this metaphor for life though, which is, we have to do things that are difficult and hard and things that we don't enjoy because that's how we learn and grow and get better. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, redefining failure, I think, was a big deal for me because failure was something I just tried to avoid at all costs to the point that I would do nothing if I thought I mm-hmm. wasn't going to be 100% successful. So imagine doing that, trying to be a writer when mm-hmm. writing is rewriting, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be okay the first 10, 15 drafts or oh, whatever God, no. And, to, and so if you have this fear of failure, and what is failure? So redefining what these things means is very important. And, you know, you start looking, when you start looking at failure, a lot of very smart people have said that failure is just the fastest way to get to success. Like you just have to fail as fast as possible so that mm-hmm. you can achieve your goal. And it's just learning what not to do. And so many quotes about that.
0: That's one of the things that I, another things I picked up from another musician, David Bowie. As I was trying to figure out what art is, and he said something very similar. He said, "Art is basically you got to you got to is taking something from within yourself and figuring out a way how to express it so that you can help understand yourself and the world around you." And he goes, "But to make something really great, you have to swim in water that's just a little too deep to stand in, and that's when it's that's when something great can happen when you're in a little over your head." Mm. that's when the art is made. And it's the same thing, it's, it's what you're saying, it's like you, you got to do things that are out of your comfort zone and that's how that's how you achieve things.
1: Yeah. So social media being a public persona, subjecting mm-hmm. yourself to just some of the most crazy things you've told me people say to you in your comments oh, yeah. and your DMs and just horrible things, horrible. I don't Internet get a ton of hate,
0: but I do get hate, yeah. you know, it, You know. but that's part, that's a double-edged sword of, of doing this. But also, then I was also okay. I I put myself on social media as right a screenwriter as a TV writer, and here's I'm sharing my expertise working in the business for 27 years. But I also have to trans. I also have to show you that I actually not. I have to show you that I'm actually good at what I do, so that I I try to make my posts funny, or sometimes I just do a post that's all funny, so that you feel like okay, maybe this guy can write, as mm-hmm. opposed to just me saying I can write. You know, showing you that I can write. Yeah. So there's that kind of bridge I have to cross.
1: Yeah. The exercise of putting yourself out there though is just something you were hesitant to for years and years and years. I think since I met you, I've been telling you, you need to be on social media. Yeah, You need to grow a social media following and it was just not your thing. And what I appreciate about your story with this book is you care so much about this book and doing this thing for yourself that you're willing to do the uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. which is be public-facing person who is willing to put yourself out there almost every single day for two and a half years, Mm -hmm. despite what anybody says, because that is what is required for you to make sure that you are able to have the maximum impact as you can with this thing that's so important to you. And that is something most people aren't willing to do.
0: You are listening to What the Hell is Michael Jammon Talking About? Today's episode is brought to you by my new book, a paper orchestra, a collection of true stories. John Mayer says it's fantastic. It's multi-timbral. It runs all levels of the pyramid at the same time. His knockout punches are stinging sincerity. And Kirkus Review says, those who appreciate the power of simple stories to tell us about human nature, or who are bewitched by a storyteller who has mastered his craft will find a delightful collection of vignettes, a lovely anthology that strikes a perfect balance between humor and poignancy. So, you know, my podcast is is not advertiser supported. I'm not running ads here. So, if you'd like to support me or the podcast, come check out my book. Go get it an ebook or a paperback. Or if you really want to treat yourself, check out the audiobook. Go to slash book. And now back to our show. I mean, I, I have people who go on social and things. I go on social media. There's a lot of influencers that I, you know, follow or whatever. Usually, like experts in their field, but many of them or most of them don't use their real name. They mm-hmm. don't, you know, because they want that anonymity. And I don't, I don't blame them. I, I, you know, I don't. But I can't do that. If if I'm talking about my book, you got to know who my what my name is. And yep. so I end everything as you know, Michael Jammon Writer cuz you got an, and that's scary to put your real name out there. Uh and so, you know, there's well, that as well.
1: The th- this is scary in a real way too. Um I'm aware of at least two police reports we've had to file for people who've been insane. There is, yeah,
0: there's some insane people out there. Insa- yeah. but like, you know, like really insane. And you got nothing too dangerous I had to report, but but it's hate speech. Yeah. It's hate speech,
1: it's threatening, it's angry language yeah. and the things that you're talking about are wild because they're not even, they're not, in, they're not invoking it. One yeah. of the compliments I think you get for people is how you respond to criticism. It's like you could destroy people because you have that capacity.
0: I could do that with my words. Yeah. You,
1: you're a, you're the definition of a good man and the fact that you are dangerous with your words uh, mm. and you choose not to use it.
0: It doesn't, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't, I, I would, believe me, I would tear them apart and make them look silly, but it doesn't help me any. It just doesn't, it doesn't actually help me. So yeah. it just, it, I just, I'm getting there rolling in the dirt with them and then we both get dirty. So uh, for the most part, I just ignore. I, but I also talk to other creators, how they how they handle the same thing. It's this new internet fame. It's very, uh, it's it's a strange territory to walk in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we were just talking earlier today about, uh how you went, would you go into like a Kinko's or something to print Yeah, I went stuff. to a
0: Kinko's. I got spotted in the wild. Yeah, somebody <laughs> knew who you were. Yeah. And,
1: and that was Chris. like more, yeah, it was more common. Shout out Chris, Kinko's. Yeah. Kinko's <laughs> Chris, you're on the podcast. Um, but it, it's like the first time, I remember the first time that really happened to you. I remember you told me like, you'll never believe what happened. I was out in this place and somebody yeah. shouted Michael and Ryder from their car. Yeah. And it's just a weird thing, you know? It's and just I, odd, Yeah. I've had a taste of that through association and I've talked about it on the podcast as well, where we went to like our rap party for Tacoma FD season four and one of the assistant editors comes up and he goes, dude, I got to tell you, my wife works in the industry and she's an accountant she brought over her accountant friend and uh, they're like, Oh, what show do you work on? And he was like, I work on Tacoma FD. And she's like, Oh, I listen to Phil Hudson's podcast. Oh wow. And I, he's like, I didn't even know you had a podcast. I was like, ah, it's, it's a strange feeling. And then later that night, one of our accountants. I, it must be accountants who listen to our podcast. Uh, yeah. They brought they brought someone over to the party and just like, yeah, I listen to your podcast. I was like, this, is, this feels weird, and I'm not even Michael Jamming. Like uh, I'm just I'm a guy who's like, on there. It's so. so
0: yeah. It's strange to be to put yourself out there like that. But I. But you're I doing also it. Think,
1: but you're doing it.
0: I'm doing it. But I also yeah, and also that's kind of you know. Listen, if you want to know more about me, then you'll definitely read the book because the book is very vulnerable, but it's still weird. I don't know. I felt like, well, David Sedaris can do it, I, I can do it. Uh, but I also think, I think that's what's interesting about, I do think that's what's interesting about this kind of writing is that as opposed to writing a novel that you're making up and you're you know you're making up these characters, I, I feel like the stakes are higher when, you read, when you're reading something like my book, because you know, oh, this character's real and he's really going through. It's not like it's, when you're reading a fake uh, you know a movie or you're watching a movie or reading a book, a novel, And the character dies or whatever you know gets injured or something part of you can still say okay it's it's still made up it's not real that's just an actor going through something you know and the actors pretending but when you read this you go oh this is real this is a real person this is not made up and i do feel like it raises the stakes and in Mm -hmm. some way i feel like this is my answer to ai to what Mm -hmm. if everyone's worried that ai is going to take writers jobs this is my answer to that, which is you, AI cannot do this. It's, yeah. AI is not capable of telling a story about me that's real. Yeah. I have to do that.
1: Yeah, someone someone just yesterday, I saw someone posted that asking AI to write, about, to write about something is like having them listen to a thousand hours of people talking about pizza and then asking mm. it to make a pizza. It's just like, it's not going to come out. It's just not going to come out.
0: I get a lot of people in my comments and they'll say things when I talk about AI, you clearly don't understand AI. And I and I want to say you clearly don't understand writing. Yeah. That's what you don't understand. Yep. So.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's a human the human condition. I mean, we've been talking about this forever. That's what Star Trek is, right? It's it's data figuring out what it means to be human. And Yeah. The thing that comes to mind for me is this random clip I saw probably when it was airing real time in the early 90s and my dad was watching it. And it's data talking about like how, Oh boy, time flies. And he couldn't understand the expression time flies. And so he sat and watched an egg boil over and over and over again. He's like, it takes exactly eight minutes and 32 right. seconds for an egg to boil. Cause he couldn't understand or comprehend it from the machine side. And so that's, it's all about that. Like even machines want to be more human Yeah, and writing is exploring the human condition.
0: So. yeah, That's right. That's right. Yeah. So if you want to understand yourself, yeah. And you write, and in, to me, this, to me, getting back to the book, that that's what this process was: figuring out who I am, figuring out who I, you know. It was a, and and it's so interesting because all these patterns kept on emerging. I I'd, I'd write a story, and I'd get halfway through it, and I'm thinking, why would this character? And it's, let's say the story is something that he did when I was 11 or whatever. Why would this character do that? Why would I have done that? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I just didn't know why would I do that. It didn't make sense. And then I'd write something I go, no, that doesn't feel true. That feels like the TV version. What's the real version? And then I'd have to think of another memory from that time. And I think, oh, I wonder if those two are related. And now I'm figuring out who I am. And now I'm, and I'm like, oh, that's why I would do that. That yeah. makes sense, which is so interesting to finally be able to understand yourself at the yeah. end of this book. I'm like, oh, I know who I, I know who I am.
1: In in some of my research for one of the pilots I wrote about special operators and the, you know, SEAL Team Six, uh, Delta Force, Green Berets, like Army Rangers, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and one of them was talking about this principle that your level of trauma or your level of struggle is the same as mine, even if something I've been through has been more horrific from an objective perspective. Mm-hmm our perception of my worst trauma and your worst trauma are equally impactful. Yeah, right. And I'm wondering, you know, we had very different childhoods and and we've Mm -hmm. talked a bit about mine and and a little bit about yours, but does that process of exploring why would you do things as a child, is that healing for you?
0: Yeah, and it it was healing and helpful. A lot of these stories I feel are apologies to various people I've heard over Mm. my life. And, uh, it, it's not written to be an apology, but when you're telling the truth, it's an apology when you're yeah. acknowledging your end of it, it's an apology. And so it's not, uh, not writing it. Hey, please forgive me. It's, you know, it's just about the tr- the truth. And so, yeah, really, it's so helpful. And, um, yeah, I, I think I hopefully, I think I hopefully this is what people will respond to when they, when you read the book, you go, oh man. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that thank you for putting to words, but I couldn't do because I'm not a writer. You know? Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that's the stuff that stays with us. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a metaphor for things we're going through. And I, I think one of the most impactful lessons I learned in film school was the cool effect. What is right? that? So it was this Russian um, director who showed the same shot of a man. And then he put it against a starving child or a child in a casket or food or a beautiful woman. And at the end, Everyone came up and like that actor was incredible. When he looked at the food, I could feel his desire for food. When he looked at that girl, I could see the pain of of her death. And when he saw the woman, I could feel the lust. It's the exact same shot of the same man. And it's the subjective projection that one puts on to art Mm -hmm. that allows you. it's It's an unconscious way for you to make sense of your world and import what your experience is in on something, which... It's why art has always been a part of humanity. It's why it's something yeah. that we have always, I think, sought after. It's not entertainment from a sedation perspective, where we're trying to avoid. Right. Sometimes it's that, but very often the things that impact us and mean something are the. There are things that we need to experience because they make sense. Allow us to make sense of our world. Right. That's
0: a good point that you point that out. Yeah. It's like I feel like I've done. I feel like I played a part part of that in writing sitcoms. Like Sometimes, you know. And there's a place for it. So you come home after a long day, you just want to b- turn out and laugh and, and really not be challenged and not go there. But for this piece, and there's nothing wrong with that, people want to be entertained. But for this- People I still learn wanted, from
1: that too, that people need that and it serves a role yeah. too. It's- it. They
0: need that. It's, but it's for this, I didn't vulnerable. want that. I wanted to go way deeper than that. I wanted to, because I wanted you to, to feel something. Cause my, my contention as a comedy writer and I know this is true, is that when you write that humor, write something funny, or if you go, sometimes you'll see a stand-up who's hilarious, but then you leave and you, you're hard pressed to remember one joke that you liked, mm-hmm. or you, you're hard pressed to remember what you even liked about it. You go, I just spent an hour laughing, but I don't really remember any of it. You know, mm-hmm. I know I enjoyed myself, but I can't, it's not with me anymore. And my, what I really wanted to do was write something that would stay with you after this so you're still feeling like we talked about you're still feeling it Mm -hmm. and you can't just do that with comedy you have to mix drama into it because comedy that's not what comedy does
1: well i mean your course and what i've seen you do in your craft and sitcoms as well this is a really key point is why do we care about this thing the reason we don't care that's the story and that's the personal and that's the people and so yeah i mean this is this has been your point and what you've been teaching for years and years anyway is like none of it matters unless it means something and that is the drama part of the comedy like yeah that comedy can break things and it can move us and give us that ebb and flow and that roller coaster effect of emotions And those are beautiful experiences to have in sitcoms or dramas or dramedies but it's the why why are we watching this it's the human thing that's that yeah. human piece. Yeah. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? What, what's at stake here? What's really at stake? So, yeah. and I, and again, I studied other writers. Some I thought did it great, and some I didn't think did it well at all. And so I was trying to hold myself to that higher standard of the ones who did it, you know, really well, you know, because yeah. I knew what I
1: wanted. I, I knew what I wanted out of this. And, and again, we started by saying, you've climbed this mountain, and I'm, there's another mountain. There's I another mountain.
0: It. Sometimes people have said to me like, well, are you gonna turn this into a TV show? Like, I, for, it's so odd. It's so odd or a movie that somehow, I was even watching, what was I watching? American fiction, that movie. And then there's a line in it where mm-hmm. this, uh, this author, she had a book that was a bestseller. And then she's giving an interview and someone said, "Oh, maybe they'll make a, a movie. I uh, hear they're making a movie out of it. And she's like, well, I can't tell you anymore. Like as if, A movie is better than a book or a TV show is better than a book. Like a book could be a book, a book can, what's wrong with a book just being a book? But if, if it, so I don't either have any plans to turn this into a TV show. If anyone could, it'd be me. I'm, you know, I'm a TV writer. I I could, I could, I would, I have very specific ideas on how I would want to do it and whether a buyer would want to do that or not. I I don't know, but I, I wouldn't sack, I wouldn't compromise how I'd want to do it. But the best way to make it happen, if it if it did happen, I would have to sell a lot of books first. Yeah. So if if anyone wants to see it happen, then yeah, get a book, and then I would then it, I would actually make content behind the scenes on TikTok. Hey, look at me! I'm now I'm meeting with this studio, and now I'm. Yeah. If that's the ride you want to go on, then in order to go on that ride, I have to make it a you know I have to sell a lot of copies. So, right. uh, but so I, I don't know, again, that's not that's not my goal. Export. You could, yeah, you can if you're curious, but that's not, again, that's not my goal. The goal of this was only one thing: I want to write a book that moves people. Yeah. Not a, a, you know, was never a, a TV show. I could write it. I I can write a TV show. I I write TV shows. Like I, you know, i not. That's not what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. And if you want to be moved, you have to buy a copy of the book. Because if you're listening <laughs> well, to this and you want to experience what Michael has put together, yeah. you have to buy a copy of the book because. That is, I mean, you've, you've invested, I know the number you've invested significantly into just making this happen for yourself. This is not some like, you know, random cousin who's like, Hey, I wrote a book and I put it on uh, Amazon publishing. This is like the real deal. I mean, lift your book up if you don't mind. So people can see the cover. Um, this has been out for a minute, but even just the story of this cover and how you got this cover and found this artist and licensed it is a beautiful story in and of itself.
0: Yeah, that is. So I, I, so, okay. That's another thing. So, I wanted before, to cover
1: before we dive into so this. I just wanted to point out too, like when I when you're talking about like you looked at all these other writers and people and you said that's who I want, that's the level I want to be at. Mm-hmm. You've done this one, whatever you do next, you're still going to be saying the same thing. All right, what's the next level of of professionalism or craft that I can get to? And yeah. that's because you are a pro, and that's what you tell people to be is be a professional, which is constantly striving to be better than the last time.
0: Yeah, I, I know there are a lot of writers or authors, you know, maybe indie authors, they're cranking out books. I'm like, Jesus, I crank this out. This took four years. Like I couldn't I didn't crank this out. This was
1: this was worked on really <laughs> yeah. I really worked on it. Yeah. Um uh, But talk about your cover. I I, I didn't I apologize for interjecting there. I just want to get that point across that you're still gonna be pursuing it that excellence. And that is what makes yeah. you that's what makes people stand out. People excellence stands out in a world. I hope of, so of Yeah, Make
0: make something good, good. and people that's, and, okay, so for the cover, I, I wanted a good cover, but it, the book is funny, but it, and it's also very poignant, and so I looked at other uh, cover, you know, books, books that I thought were really good, and so I found this one guy um, who had actually designed some of David Sedaris's early covers. I didn't know this guy, but he, obviously he gets comedy, so I read his name, is Steve Snyder. I just found him on Instagram. I don't know him from a hole in the wall, and I... DMed him. I slid into his DMs and I told him what I was working on. And I told him I noticed how weird it is for me to reach out to him. And he goes, oh, well, send me your manuscript. So I did. And then he, a couple of weeks, you know, went by, he wrote back. He goes, I love it, I'm in. And now this guys he's like 80 or something. hes He goes, but he was retired. He goes, I will come back out of retirement to make the cover for you. I go, great. But just so you know, I, I don't know what my budget is. He goes, oh. I'll do it for free. I just want to be, I want to
1: be part of it. Yeah. I just,
0: I love it. I want to be part of wow. it. Wow.
1: Michael, just let that sit. I know you <laughs> I, I know you've internalized that, but just like we talk about to everybody, like you gotta own the wins and you got to celebrate the victories. Like, what does that mean to you that this accomplished Oh, It, desire, it was, was very like,
0: validating. It was yeah. very val. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll just figure out what I'm gonna pay you later, but okay. But then as we were moving down the line, uh. He 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 was starting. You know, he's retired, so he was getting. Oh, I just made plans. I'm going to be traveling for. A month. He goes. I want to do this, but I don't. I don't think I can get it done on time. He goes. I, I, I was like, okay, I don't want to. You know, uh, okay, maybe you can re- refer somebody. So he recommended one of these athletes, one of the people he trained under him, and so I reached out to her. Same deal. And so I want uh, hiring her, Jenny Caro. She did a wonderful job with the cover, but getting the cover right. And, and then when I finally we finally got the cover. And I reached out to Steve again. I go, here's the cover, you want to see it? And he goes, ah, oh, damn, I love it. I wish I didn't drop out. <laughs> but, um, That's awesome. but what happened with Jenny, so she came back with a bunch of covers that were good, but they didn't feel right. They just didn't, there was something about it that didn't feel right. It was like almost. And then she had one cover, I was like, and I and I, I hate to keep going back and forth with her. I was like, I, I don't want to discourage her. So one was almost good, I mean, almost like right, but not quite right. And then I was intent, I was gonna use it. And then for some reason I happened to see an ad on Facebook or it was an article from about artists or whatever. So I click on this article and I'm reading the article. And then there's other, I see the, the cover that she was gonna license for my, you know, she was gonna license some artwork for my cover. And I recognize it, I go, that's it, that's And I, I click on it to discover more about what this artist had done. And then, which took me to his website, or his Instagram page, I don't remember. but And then I discover all his other work and I go, that's the one. So mm-hmm. this is this is a licensed piece of art from this uh, uh, Dutch artist named Toon Jusen. And I reached out to him, I wanna license this art for your book, uh, for my book. And he goes, great. And so, and I, it was just a boy sitting on words and the title is A Paper Orchestra. And so it's not uh, like, uh, you know, what does it mean? It's just a boy struggling with words mm-hmm. that's all it is and that's Beautiful. what the book is it's about a, yeah. a boy who grew up to be a man who struggled with words
1: so. do you remember what i told you when you told me that story you remember what i called it what did you say i said that's providence that providence just, yeah, yeah.
0: It re- there was a lot of that there was a lot of just hey that's the universe telling me that this is what your cover should be and yeah. like and once i saw i go that's it we're done we're done yeah. we could stop looking and then, so, and then
1: here's an artist who is putting art out that I would yeah. consider to not be standard, normal art that you would think about in a normal way. Yeah. And then here he's featured in this article. And then here now when you're reaching out and his art is now in supporting and improving your art. It's a beautiful yeah. thing, right?
0: And then the same thing with Anthony Rizzo, who did the music. When I got him aboard, I go, listen, Anthony, I, I'm making this audio I don't know how much I can pay you because I don't care. I'll, I want to be part of it. So I was like, okay. Uh, and then, you know, I had a small budget for him, but then I got this brand deal from final draft. I go, oh, good, I can give him whatever I was gonna pay him. And now I can pay him additional money from this brand deal. It doesn't come really out of my pocket. It's money, it's kind of found money. So I, I just give it right to him. It's great. So yeah.
1: It's great. Oh, I love that, man. Um, your network will pay in spades if the work you do is quality and you're a good person. Uh, no. I've seen that for you. I've seen that for myself. I've seen it in lots of other people. People want to be a part of your project if what you're doing means something, and you're kind. And if you yeah. were a dick, like, imagine you were the showrunner, and you were like being like throwing tantrums and and going on tirades on Marin. Mm-hmm. Do you think that yeah. would want to work with you on this?
0: Yeah, but there's that, and like I said, there's also build it first. Like I was, if I if I started this by saying reaching out to these people on an Instagram or whatever, hey, I have this idea that I want to make. Will you be part of, uh, yeah, uh, no, cu- come back to me when you're done, yeah. basically, you know? And so for everyone who has a movie they want to make or a scene, all right, shoot a scene on a park bench with your phones. Yeah. Like you don't need to spend $10,000. You could do it for 50,
1: you know, whatever ja- you need. Jamie Kaler, uh, who I think you're going to have on the podcast, he's yeah. Captain Polanski on Tacoma FD and a bunch of other stuff. I had a long running series as well he's got a series that he did with another known actor called um, Dads on, Dads in a Park, I think is what it's called. It's mm-hmm. him on a bench with another dad just talking about dad stuff. And where is that on YouTube? I, I'll find it. I think it's on YouTube yeah. and Instagram, but it it's so real and funny. It's like, yeah, this makes sense. And it's two great actors who are just doing their thing. Yeah. And it, and it plays, and it plays really well. It's very funny. And when you look
0: at people doing interesting things, people, this is what I say, like, people who are just popping, who just broke onto the Hollywood scene somehow, somehow they have a special on Netflix or somehow they're a star of a show or a movie, whatever. Look how they did it. They did it themselves. And then Hollywood discovered them because Hollywood was like, oh, we can make money off this person. It wasn't the other way around.
1: It's a fable of overnight success that is never overnight success. There was always something before that every time.
0: So are all. These are people who are already building it. People like me, people like you, who are already building it. And then people see, go, oh, look, what's that fool over there building? I mm-hmm. want in on it.
1: Mm-hmm. And then that fool is going to say,
0: well, you can be in or you can. Either way, I'm doing it without you. Sure. So come along for the ride if you want.
1: Gonna happen. Um, I, I'd love to talk about some of the endorsements of your book, if that's okay. I don't want to embarrass yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, uh, some of this stuff. How do you feel about telling the John Mayer story?
0: Oh, my God, that's I another think this thing. Is, I think it's
1: a great story. And I'll just say this. Like Michael will always be very hesitant about bringing in friends or colleagues to talk yeah. about his stuff. and he's not he's made it very clear as we're talking about how to help him market his book. like what how how are we doing this in a way that's not going to ever feel like I'm using these people? Yeah. And so yeah. what we have on your site that are published are, reviews that people have given you of your book and there are sincere honest reviews of your book and these are people you've worked with and some of them are people you've not worked with and yeah. and, and John Mayer I think is just this amazing story <laughs> of someone you've never worked with but because right. of this mountain that you've built and that yeah. you've climbed now there's this relationship or connection with John the John yeah. Mayer yeah and so, I think it's worth worth talking about he, and John Mayer's and John Mayer has this great TV show that was on VH1. It's called John Mayer has a TV show, by the way. Uh, it is one know. of the funniest things I have ever seen. Oh really? And it, you it. talk about like you ever gone to a stand-up comedy show or something and you laughed and like I remember bits from this thing. Oh. It is that funny. funny. I'll send it to you after. But yeah, I want to see that. No. Yeah, he
0: I just noticed that he was following me on Instagram or I think on Insta- you know. I
1: think I think Mark Mark Hopple in the course, if I recall. Tagged mm. commented and said, Hey, did anyone see like oh. is that the John Mayer? Yeah. And I think he kind of h- shouted it out in your I, in your I, comments. Yeah, I had forgotten media.
0: that John Mayer, like every once in a while, someone famous would follow me. I'm like, Ooh, look at that. Someone like yeah. that, that's odd. Um, which is nice. And then so yeah, so he wouldn't following me. And then I needed to get a blurb. I'm like, I'm like, why not reach out to John Mayer? What do I got to lose? And you know, he is like a fabulous musician and guitarist. Like he really can play. That guy can play. Mm-hmm. Um so I just sent him a DM. Hey, John Mayer, I know this is weird. I got a book coming out. I'd love a blurb from you. I can just send you one chapter if you want. Just one chapter. That way it's not, you know, you don't have to, you know, whatever you want. And so he goes, yeah, yeah, he, he writes back. I'm, I just finished, I'm, I'm on my way back to the hotel. He just finished a concert, right? It was by 10 at night. It was by I don't know what time it was.
1: It was late where he just was just- probably- Michael in Michael late night sliding into John Mayer's DMs, everybody. Yeah. You just keep that in mind.
0: So he's in his car going back to the hotel, and I'm like, "All right." So I just I, I sent him one story, and it was I think it was the ghoul, the one we were just talking about. And uh, he goes, "Great, I'll read it." You know, he's just unwinding from his sh- from his show. And so, about a half hour later, he writes back to me, and this is the quote I put on the book. <laughs> uh, he wrote, "It's fantastic. It's multi timbral. It runs all levels of the pyramid at the same time. His knockout punches are stinging sincerity." which is exactly what a musician would write.
1: Yeah, yeah, they like multi-timbrel.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I, was, I go, this is perfect because I can write more. And I'm like, this is perfect, you know? And so we spent, I don't know, an hour or so just DMing each other. And I'm asking him questions mm-hmm. about art. And he's just DMing back. I'm like, holy shit, I'm, on, I'm DMing John Mayer. And it was getting late. And it was, it was later where he was. He was on the East Coast. And my wife's like, it was like, I'm lying in bed. She's like, are you still talking to John Mayer? Yeah, I'm yeah. still...
1: Talking to John Mayer. <laughs> you, you, can't you can't write that. That's a, beu- it's a beautiful so little thing. But you're, he was so gracious. In, you're lying in bed next to your wife DMing yeah. someone. Yeah. And it's John Mayer. It's, it's not John like Ma- It's not some floozy. It's not some random girl on the internet. It's John Mayer. And but she's he, like.
0: He had so many interesting things to say. And I'll continue sharing with another podcast. But I was asking him about art, about his pro- Like I said, I learned from musicians. For some reason, that what they do resonates with me. And he was, um, I don't know, he was so gracious, and he did it right away, and what he wrote was beautiful. And then I was asking about other, some of the songs he wrote, and he just, he had some really good advice, some really, that that applies to writing as well, that I thought was just, like this guy's, like when you talk to him, you go, oh, this guy's an artist. He's not phoning any of this in. He gives a lot of thought to what he's doing, and it's super important to him. And yeah. I just thought, I just have so much respect for people like that. It was like, you know, he's, he's not a guy who's out to make, f- he's not a f- guy trying to be famous. He's a guy trying to make really good music.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, his blues stuff is beautiful. I yeah. Love it. That's great. Uh, obviously, you got quotes from Mark Marin. He said some oh, yeah. really kind things about you. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, Michael was essential in helping me portray myself honestly. Michael did a beautiful job of it with a paper orchestra. Yeah, portraying your authentic self.
0: And that was something I learned actually from running his TV show. He Mark was very vulnerable on the show and very, we break stories in the room and I'm like, boy, I can't believe you're admitting to that. And he almost looked like, well, of course I'm you know, of course, why wouldn't I? And so learning how to write for him actually was very helpful, learning how to write this.
1: yeah, Ke- Kevin and Steve, I picked that up in Tacoma after you too. Like they're, there's no shame in the life that they've led. They will just- oh especially steve
0: you. steve will tell you everything you want to know
1: shameless <laughs> love it love steve that's it. there you go steve steve called me out on his podcast and said i he said not that phil hudson's not an actor but he's not and i was like oh steve that hurts oh yeah he told me that my acting went to my head i was like "It did yeah a little. That's so um there you go steve shots fired um yeah but it's yeah it's like not having pride of that and it allows you to be vulnerable enough to get to the things it's what you've told me before though like nobody cares yeah no you think other people care they don't care
0: yeah yeah
1: they're too busy thinking about themselves
0: and they're not i've said this before is that i think uh one of the worries people had when i you know when i was writing this book they go well this is pretty personal pretty vulnerable are you worried about being judged and i've responded I'm more worried about people judging me to be a bad writer. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I will go there. I will give it to you because that's more concerning to me that you think I'm a bad writer. Yeah. And so ironically, if you're worried about being judged, the course of action you should take is allow yourself to be judged. Yeah. And then you won't you, be judged.
1: You and I were talking to another writer once and they said that they didn't want to go there. And you yeah. told me, we had a conversation, like, did you hear what they said? Yeah. And it's like this is someone who has lived a life and has a story to tell and they won't go
0: yeah. there. Yeah. I'm like, well what you signed up for the wrong job. That's yeah. the job. Sorry.
1: Yep. That was beautiful. Laura Sangiacomo, left me a beautiful Laura. Barbier.
0: She's so sweet. I worked with her on just shoot me. You know, it was my first job. And so I reached out to her and yeah, you can if you want to read what she wrote.
1: Yeah, it's hard to see the letters I'm typing because my eyes are still misty. Michael is a writer on a show I did, and I know he's funny. That his gift in profe- that's his gift and profession. I did laugh out loud, that I expected. But what I appreciated the most was being led into thoughts down the path to his deepest confessions and deepest loves. Good storytelling also leads us to ourselves, our memories, our beliefs, personal and powerful. I loved the journey. And Michael, I don't know that there's any more fitting way to cap off the conversation we've had today than that quote.
0: Yeah. And, and she's an artist as well. I mean, she's an actor. I remember working with her. She, it was, you know, she's, she's, Laura's with the material, you know, she's, she's an artist. So I think she appreciated my journey as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, not to take away from that. I just thought we could just talk about some of the other people who've read your book and, and left blurbs. And you guys can go see this at com slash book. you got Steve Levitan who co-created Modern Family. He's the creator of Just Shoot Me. Your first real boss, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Judy Greer, the infamous Judy Greer. Yeah. John Altshuler, who co-created Silicon Valley. He worked with you on um, King of the Hill. Yeah, King
0: of the Hill and Lopez as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, Max Muchnick, the co-creator, Will and Grace. Yep. Dave Krinsky, he was a showrunner on King of the Hill. Mm -hmm. John Abel, who was a writer on Kung Fu Panda, who wrote Kung Fu Fu Panda. The infamous Steve Lemming from Broken Lizard. Lenny, Kevin Heffernan from Super Drooper's Beer Fest Co-FD, and Beer and yeah. Lizard, and David Lit who is a co-creator of King of Queens. Yeah. And you have many more that are not listed here, but it yeah. seems to me like the people who've read your book at a high level, people that we look up to or know are having the same experience that Phil Hudson's having in yeah. 2022 sitting in a small theater in Glendale, California watching you perform your craft and seeing your vulnerability on stage. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it really does feel transcendent and something that will speak to everybody who listens to it on audio or reads it on digital or in paperback.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I hope I hope all of you will enjoy it. And if you are writers yourselves, uh, you know, I hope it inspires you to, to mine your own life for stories. And that's the, actually the last chapter I talk about that, how I turn is a little behind the scenes of how I actually turned this idea into a story, like my thought process while I, so if that interests you as well, that's also part of the book as a bonus little part.
1: That's great. Now I, I'm one who will buy almost all formats of a book. Yeah, <laughs> no. Cause I can put on audio while I'm like, audio is better for me. I like, I can remember most of that tones yeah. and things like that. But often when I'm trying to study something, I will read it while I'm listening yeah. to it. This feels almost like a performance getting to see you live yeah audiobook format here, and I think there's a bonus. Is that right with with your wife Cynthia, who directed yeah.
0: this? There, that's yeah, that's on the audiobook. We had a little again a different behind the scenes as well. Some people, you know, at the end of the day, it is very visual because I still I still write it as if like okay, what are we watching in the scene? Like I, I still part, I'm still a screenwriter at heart. So you're like okay, so, so it's not very. Um, so I try to make these scenes that like, go well, so you can picture it. So in your head. I think it's part of the enjoyment if you is is imagine you get to see it in your head. Uh, although I didn't, like I said, I didn't want you to think I was a TV writer. But parts of it, I think you you have to just you know you, you have to embrace.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, all formats available right now at MichaelJamal.com. Yeah. Kind of anywhere books are found at this stage, right? Through yeah, it should be. Set up. Yeah. So if you're interested, go pick it up um you're doing signed copies on your website so if yes. you have a signed copy you can go to slash book and you can get it there mm-hmm. um anything else you want to talk about your book
0: that's it we got some merch as well we got some accompanying merch that's another thing i hope this works out by the time i do, i have to make merch so i have i uh, i have a friend who is a um i hope this works out we're we're talking on monday uh, he 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 does uh, the bumpers he used to do the bumpers for the Conan o'brien show so He's helped me with uh, design some of the merch, and this is how it works: if people come out, you yeah. know, hey, I want to be part of that. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: Well, well, it's it's been a pleasure, and I just want to say, and I'm so proud of you as your friend and someone I look to yeah. as, beyond just a mentor, really someone I look up, look to as a as a dear friend. I am I'm so proud of you for the work you've put in for putting yourself out there. I have seen, and again, you're older than me and have lived more life than I have. But in the time I've known you, I've seen your growth as you've put yourself out there to be more vulnerable, to share your art. And the you're reaping the rewards of that through other people wanting to participate and the ability to impact other people. And I think you're a great example to people of why you should be putting yourself out there. Because imagine all of the lives you've touched over the last two and a half years through the podcast, through your videos, mm-hmm. through your social media content, and how many of them you would have never ever been able to impact had you not started down this journey that you yeah didn't want to go down but needed to because as we've heard in stoicism say the obstacle is the way right your Mm. path this obstacle of growing your following and putting yourself out there is the path the journey is the path you needed to go down to have the fulfillment of getting this out yeah uh, and thank
0: you for all your help and your help marketing this and all all that stuff the website all that stuff course
1: yeah. happy to support you and anything you're doing here and and likewise and it's so mutual too. And for everybody like this isn't something i'm getting paid to do i'm doing it and i've been doing it because it, it's mutually beneficial i want to mm-hmm. be a part of what you're doing and i've been begging for this for years of knowing you, <laughs> you to get been. this type of stuff so yeah. um it's it's mutually beneficial and and everybody who knows me because of michael thank you for for that trust but michael yeah. thank you for having the life experience to say what you need to say in a way that is impactful
0: well thank you that's that's beautifully said that's because you're a writer yeah thank you
1: working on it <laughs> working thank, on it thank you sir um lots of stuff to talk about obviously the book is the most important thing right now there's webinars there's courses there's free stuff but right now now is the time to go support on the book and uh and do something for yourself get the book and give yourself time to breathe and sit with it and feel it
0: yeah feel it go get it MichaelJammin.com. Thank you guys until, so much. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading. Thank you, Phil.
1: Catch you guys later. Bye.
0: Wow, I did it again. Another fantastic episode of What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? How do I do it week after week? Well, I, I don't do it with advertiser supported money. I tell you how I do it. I do it uh, with my book. If you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to support me, go check out my new book, A Paper Orchestra. It asks the question, what if it's the smallest, almost forgotten moments that are the ones that shape us most? Laura Sangigomo says, good storytelling also leads us to ourselves, our memories, our beliefs, personal and powerful. I loved the journey. And Max Muchnik, who was on my show, says, as the father of daughters, I found Michael's understanding of parenting and the human condition to be spot on. This book is a fantastic read go check it out for yourself go to michaeljaman.com slash book thank you all and stay tuned more great stuff coming next week